right, church. Well, there was a certain fellow who was in his family room one day, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw through his sliding glass door that his dog had something in his mouth in the backyard. So the man goes out the sliding glass door onto his back patio, and as he's out there, he gets a little closer and notices his dog has a dead bunny in his mouth. So he goes up to his dog and did what uh, many of us have experienced in the past with our own dogs. He goes up to his dog, points his finger at him and says, let it go, let it go, let it go. After about the 10th time, finally the dog reluctantly drops his jaw and the bunny falls out. The man goes to pick up the bunny and as he gets closer, his heart drops, he recognizes the rabbit. It's the next door neighbor little girl's prized bunny. She loved that thing. The man's devastated. Oh, no, my dog somehow broke through the fence and killed her bunny. And so the man carefully picks it up, and he goes inside to the sink, and he carefully washes off all the dirt and dog slobber from his, that bunny. He cleans it up, and, and then he decides he's going to get out the hair dryer. Get it? Hair dryer? Okay. Yeah, you like that? So what I'm doing right now is a favor for you. Guys, that was the dumbest joke your wife will hear all day. So go ahead and give her the dumb joke. It won't be as bad as that one, right? So anyways, gets out the hair dryer, dries the bunny off, fluffs up the hair as best he can. Then he climbs over the fence, goes to the neighbor's backyard because he knows they're gone, and he places the bunny carefully inside the rabbit hutch, fluffs up the hair one last time as best as he can, and closes the door to the hutch, hops back over the fence, goes home. A few hours later, it's evening time, all of a sudden, from inside his house, he hears the next-door neighbor girl screaming at the top of her lungs. She is screaming in her backyard. So the man goes and knocks on his next-door neighbor's house, and the guy comes to the door, and he says, I heard your daughter screaming in the backyard. Is everything okay? As if he didn't know what was going on. The neighbor says, to be honest with you, everything's not okay. Neighbor said, what, what's going on? Well, my little girl, remember the bunny she loved? He said, Yeah. That bunny died two days ago, and we buried it in the backyard. While we were gone today, some yahoo jumped over our fence, dug up the bunny, and stuck it back in the rabbit hutch. My daughter is devastated all over again. Have you ever tried to do something kind for someone, and it kind of backfired? Because you didn't stop to ask if that act of kindness was actually something that was needed? I've done that. I bet you have too. We're going to dive into God's Word today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Please take out your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, you can use one of those blue ones from the rack in front of you. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, five short verses today that we're going to look at. It's a well-known passage for many of us as Jesus is going to go to the house of Mary and Martha. And I'm calling this message today, I'm with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, and also if you have those message notes from your bulletin, it's a good idea to have those handy. Some of you will be pleasantly surprised the handout is just one-sided today. The back of that thing is completely blank, so uh, uh, we just want you to have that handy, jot down some notes uh, if it's helpful to you in absorbing what God has to teach us today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, this is what we read. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, 
don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we thank you for your good word. And what, Lord, you have prepared since the beginning of time for us to hear on this day. Lord, this isn't something you threw together last minute. You knew we were going to be in this exact passage on this day in 2019 before we were, any of us, a glimmer in our mother's eye. You knew about this day. So what you have planned to teach us and speak to us today, we pray that you would. And as I ask you often, Lord, I pray that my mouth would not get in the way of your words. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, turn to the person next to you and say, here we go. All right. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. So in the final verses of this chapter, Luke gives us a, a sneak peek into a family situation, two sisters, Mary and Martha. And what is shared about Mary and Martha, especially what's shared of Martha, isn't terribly complimentary. And so it's important to know from the get-go that Jesus didn't say, I want this story to be relayed in the pages of my scriptures in order to embarrass Mary and Martha. The purpose of sharing these five verses is not to embarrass these two ladies. The purpose is to preserve this story in Scripture so that Jesus can illustrate a very important point about priorities. As Jesus comes to the home of Mary and Martha here in verse 38, he and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. Jesus had his mind and his heart set on Jerusalem where he would die on the cross, where he would lay down his life for the sins of the world and conquer death three days later. He had Jerusalem in his mind and heart. And as he heads to Jerusalem, he makes this stop at Bethany, which is just about two miles southwest or southeast of Jerusalem. It's about two miles from the Mount of Olives where Jesus would spend much time with his disciples in that final week uh, of his life before going to the cross. And so he's here in Bethany. Remember what happened in the prior verses. Jesus had sent out the 72 into all the towns where he was about to go. They had returned excited about all that Jesus had done through them as they went out as his ambassadors. And so they come back. Jesus at this point has been doing ministry for somewhere around three full years. And so Jesus is most likely physically tired and he's emotionally tired, maybe even spiritually tired. And he he knows what's up ahead. He's going to suffer excruciating pain. He's going to be rejected by his creation. He's going to have people shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And those who were supposed to be the pillars of society in Judaism were going to be leading that parade to have Jesus executed. So Jesus is tired. As best as we can tell, Jesus popped in on Mary and Martha unannounced. I don't think they knew he was coming, so I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of Mary or Martha. Imagine there you are on a Saturday afternoon, and there you are just kind of relaxing because it's been a busy week, and all of a sudden, you get a knock at your door, you open the door, and there are 13 men standing on your doorstep, and that leader of that group, Jesus, asks the simple question, Hi, can I spend the day with you two ladies? What are you going to do? Would you respond more like Martha? 
you would invite them into your house, but here's what you're thinking. Oh, shoot. My house is a mess. I've got stuff all over the place. I've got dirty laundry on the floor and on the couch, and all I have in the cupboard is cereal. And this is Jesus. I can't feed Jesus cereal. So would you be like Martha trying feverishly to take all that dirty laundry off the couch so they have a place to sit and rushing to the store to buy some meat and some vegetables and a nice dessert so you can prepare a four-course meal and you're trying your best to get rid of all of the mess and to get everything just right and just perfect for Jesus? Or would you respond more like Mary? Jesus knocks on that door. And she says much the same thing as Martha initially. I can't believe Jesus is here today. But then she invites Jesus and the 12 apostles into her home. And she says, well, the house is a mess. And all we've got to eat is cereal. I hope you like cereal. Sit anywhere you want. Just shove the laundry off the couch and flop yourself down anywhere. Just grab a seat. Make yourself at home. And then Mary, instead of running around doing everything, just simply sits down and says, Jesus, I can't wait to hear what's been going on in the last few months. Tell me everything. I don't want to miss a single detail. And there she is, hanging on his every word. What a difference. I bet you can relate more with one of these two ladies than the other. If your reaction would be more like Martha's, you probably have more of a task oriented personality. You're a hard worker who has an eye for detail. You don't just do things, you do things correctly. You do things right. If you have that type of approach to life, you probably, like me, are task-oriented. How many of you are task-oriented? That person comes over and surprises you. You're going to bolt around that house doing everything to make this magnificent for that guest on short notice. Now, if you're task-oriented, don't miss this. If you are task-oriented and you're working hard doing something important and you see a family member or a friend across the room doing nothing while you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, you're going to probably mumble a few things under your breath, aren't you? Maybe something like this. That no good, lazy person, I can't believe. She's sitting over there doing nothing, doing this number. Well, I'm running back and forth, clearing off all the dirty laundry. I'm running to the store by myself, and I have to pay for it, and I'm getting all this meal together, and she's just sitting around doing nothing. That no good, lazy person, how lazy could she be? We have a tendency if we're task-oriented, to not be too cheery with those who are not the same as us. Somebody has to do all the work around here. My feet are killing me. I'd like to sit down and do nothing too, but somebody's got to do the work. Now, if your reaction would be more like Mary's, you're probably more people-oriented. You've got a people-oriented personality. You work, but when guests come over, you stop working. And you sit down and just enjoy the company. Well, it's not going to get much better than this if I run around and try to do everything. Might as well leave it like it is and enjoy the company. I, I might as well. You, you come, they come in and, and you say, you know what? All we've got is cereal. I hope you like cereal because that's all we got. Now tell me about your week. Or at best, maybe you say, I'll call for some pizza and you have it delivered. And Domino's saves the day. As you're looking at that family member like Martha running around doing everything, you're looking at her with a strange look. What on earth is she doing? She is like a chicken with her head cut off running around. 
she's completely ignoring our company. She's so busy doing stuff, she's completely ignoring our guests. And so you may not have a very favorable perspective of Martha at that point. If you're relationship-oriented, you're focused on the guests when they're there. Well, the truth is, both Mary and Martha loved Jesus, didn't they? We look at this passage, and we cannot walk away with the conclusion that Martha did not love Jesus. I truly believe she did. She loved Jesus. And because she loved him, she ran around frantically trying to clean the house and make him a four-course meal. Her intentions were good, but her priorities were messed up, weren't they? You see, Jesus didn't need a four-course meal. He didn't need all of her laundry to be put away and washed. Jesus says to Martha in verses 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Jesus was not scolding Mary. Excuse me, Martha. He wasn't scolding Martha. He wasn't criticizing Martha. He was lovingly pointing out to her that she was running herself ragged, meeting a need that he didn't even have. Think about that. Running herself ragged, meeting a need that he didn't even have. The cereal, it would have been fine. As I was looking at three different commentaries on this passage, as it was looking at that a phrase where Jesus says only one thing is needed, the commentary seemed to agree that what Jesus meant was, I do not need four things to eat, one will be fine. In other words, Martha, the life cereal is fine. It's been in the cupboard for a couple weeks. It's a little bit stale. Who cares? It's fine. It's fine, Martha. What I most need is just to relax and recharge my batteries and spend some quality time with you and your sister. That's what I most need. Two insights for you today from this great passage. Number one, if you want to meet someone's need, first find out what his or her need is. That's pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? But easier said than done. Although it's hard to do, we need to push aside our own ideas of how to show kindness to people and take the time to find out what people's real needs are. And that determines what shape our kindness will take. You see, churches across America are notorious for spending untold hours of time and financial resources and much energy putting together ministries to minister to the community. And when the day of that ministry takes place, no one from the community shows up and the church leaders scratch their heads and wonder why. It's because the church has chosen to be kind in a way that's completely unrelatable to those in the community. They're choosing to serve the community in a way where the community is saying, I really don't need to be served that way. And so the mistake Martha makes is, she says, I believe that the most important way to show my love is to prepare a four-course meal and make this house spotless and do all of these tasks. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, your heart's in the right place. But you didn't ask the simple question, Jesus, what is it that you need? And what he really needed was just some R&R and some time with these two ladies who had been so loving and supportive of him during his ministry. We have to first make sure that we're meeting a need that needs to be met. Insight number two, 
And this is so important, and I thought Warren Wearsby worded it so well. I'm just going to quote Wearsby on this second insight. What we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Isn't that good? What we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Few things are as damaging to the Christian life, Wearsby says. Few things are as damaging as trying to work for Christ without taking time first to commune with Christ. Remember that oftentimes, as we've talked about recently, oftentimes what is good is the enemy of what is best. Three of you remember that. That's great. Uh, what is good is oftentimes the memory... the. I don't remember it myself. What is good is the enemy of what is best. Amen. It's so true. It's so true. Was Martha doing bad things for Jesus? Not at all. She was doing very good things. It's good to prepare him a nice meal. It's good to clean the house. It's good to care about how your house looks for guests. The problem was she wasn't doing the most important thing. She wasn't doing the best thing. So I need to ask myself an important question. And I think you do as well. Am I spending so much time doing good things for Jesus that I am neglecting the most important thing to spend quality time with Jesus? Am I so busy as a pastor doing things for Jesus that I'm neglecting the time I need to spend in spending it with Jesus? Honestly, to be perfectly candid with you, church, as I ask myself that question, the answer is, Yeah, I'm not spending the time with just me and Jesus that I need to spend. But you know what? I'm determined to make a change this summer. I'm determined to step away from short and quick devotion times where my mind is half distracted. I'm bound and determined to step away from these short Somewhat meaningless prayer times where I throw up a token prayer and then I'm off with my day doing stuff. I need to spend more time with Jesus. I need to spend more time just me and Him and in His Word. I need to spend more time in prayer. Because ultimately one of the most damaging things we can ever do as Christians is to be so busy being Martha's that our tank becomes dry. And we begin to become a little empty and a little bitter And our Christianity doesn't have the punch that it once did. Why? Because we have neglected the time that Jesus asks us to spend with him. I hope that this summer you'll join me in making a change in your personal times with Jesus Christ. For some of you, a change would be to spend five quality minutes every day reading some scripture and praying. For others of you, it would be increasing it to 10 or 15 minutes every day, spending quality time, not distracted time, quality time, reading God's Word, meditating on His Word, and praying to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to join me in these upcoming months to make sure that Jesus Christ, in your personal time with Him, is your number one priority. And as you are with Him, just you and Jesus, and He fills up your tanks I guarantee you, your ministry for Jesus will be so much better. Amen? Let's not neglect our time with Jesus. At this point, I want to shift gears just a little bit. I'm going to invite our elders to come up front here. And 
we want to share with you a little bit about what's going on here at First Christian Church and what God's been laying on our hearts in recent months. We're calling this Vision 2019, and we're pretty excited about this. We had the opportunity last Sunday to, to share this vision with our deacons, our trustees, and several other of our key servant leaders here at First Christian Church, and they're starting to get excited about it as well. But if we move forward with what we're suggesting to you today, it's going to be critical that all of us, or certainly as many of us as possible, be on board and say, you know what, we believe this is God's will, and this is what he has in mind for our future. I want you to remember our mission as a church. First Christian Church exists to glorify God by faithfully sharing the gospel, teaching God's word, and equipping this generation to serve Christ. And recently, as the elders and I have looked at what's going really well at First Christian Church, we've seen some things that are going really, really well. We look at our children's and youth ministries, for starters, and our children's